we now we put all our thoughts into a region of one form or another, I guess. Yeah, what is it? One and what's fun in the one? Well, the nice part is we have a variety of things that rhyme with one and a variety of things that rhyme with two. So it's not always what's fun in the one. This week it's going to be who's getting it done in the one. Okay. That's right. It's fresh every week. Something new for the for the people. Was there any sun in the one? Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Coleman. You have a very forceful handshake, Mr. Coleman. And Greg Thomas. Thank you, Greg. That was interesting, too. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, your weekly podcast about the largest division of college football. We welcome you to podcast number 313. It's your podcast for October 3rd of 2022. And I'm Pat Coleman, the guy who runs D3Football.com, and I'm in this studio, in this seat now for the third time today. And I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation, the column at D3Football.com. And Pat, we are, we are, for all intents and purposes, halfway through the regular season. We've still got... Big games, big top 10 games to talk about, although these top 10 games are no longer non-conference games. We're talking about conference games with big implications toward things like the playoffs and Pool C. And yeah, we had two such games this weekend. All the implications, right? Whenever I hear someone say now these days, for all intents and purposes, I am reminded of the time and times, multiple times on our message board, d3boards.com, where people have tried to type that, but instead have written, for all intensive purposes. I'm sure your purpose was very intensive, but that is not the way the language works. All of the ways that you can formulate intents and purposes, I believe we've exhausted all of them on post patterns somewhere. You talked about big games this weekend. So much fun. It's been, ah, I feel like we have been treated to so many classic games this year and a number of them involving UW Whitewater this weekend. Uh, just think about the second half of that game. It's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And then bam, bam, two field goals at the end for UW Whitewater to win it. Absolutely. That game lived up to the top 10 billing and we should stop being surprised by Whitewater playing in instant classics this season. Um, This was a classic back and forth game. Like you said, the game had eight lead changes. Nobody got ahead by more than seven points. In the end, it was a pair of Jeffrey Isotalo McGuire field goals in the fourth quarter and a huge play by the Whitewater defense that made the difference in a 34 to 31 Warhawk win. I liken this game this year to last year's Whitewater game at River Falls. Pretty similar, kind of back and forth in the second half. And you can think of it as Whitewater comes up with defensive plays and a couple of field goals at the end to win it. Or can you also think of it as Whitewater gets a little conservative in the red zone? You and I were chatting during this game on Saturday, and there's a fourth down, a fourth down and short, and it's right after... Uh, a field goal block field goal block at uh, the end of the first half that lacrosse returns all the way back for a touchdown. Um, So fourth and short, I think lacrosse takes a timeout and you're talking during the timeout. And I can kind of tell by the look on your face that you remember what you said. Why don't you repeat it back for the audience? Yeah. The, the broadcast team was like, that's a big decision coming up for Wisconsin whitewater fourth and one down inside the 10 and a 31 to 31 game. And, 
uh, and I'm and I'm thinking there's no decision. This is Kevin Bullis is kicking this field goal 100 times out of 100. He's going to get that lead with you know about two minutes left in the game and let his defense hang on. And that's exactly what he did. Now Whitewater missed that field goal. I think they just missed that wide to the right uh, there from 26 yards. Very next play though, Egon Hine comes up with a big interception of Cade Garcia. So that Whitewater defense, we've seen them come up big in the fourth quarter earlier this season. They may come up with another big play here to set up a short drive and get one more chance for Isatalo McGuire to get that game-winning field goal. Right. This is a guy who's a freshman from Arizona. It's only his second game, basically, as the kicker, maybe his third game as the kicker. He did not start at the position in the season-opening loss at St. John's. He's been the kicker ever since. You know, right, if we're just going to start spouting cliches, then you probably want to go listen to some other podcast that spouts cliches. But I will say the thing that lots of people say is that when you miss a kick, you want to get right back out there and give it another shot, right? I assume that that's the same sort of thing, right, for uh, for this young freshman kicker. Yeah, and clearly, you know, this, is, this has been a thing for Whitewater this season. They've had, you know, some ups and downs with special teams. I think if there's one phase of the game that they've been, you know, a little inconsistent with so far this season, that would be it. Uh, clearly, you know, using a, a first-year kicker, they're running through some guys trying to figure out who's going to be the go-to guy there. In the end, Whitewater has collected wins over UMHB now and on the road at lacrosse. Those are, uh, you know, two wins that are probably better than two wins anybody else can stack up so far. And uh, Whitewater in the early, early uh, driver's seat in the WIAC. You know what we should do, talking about uh, teams that have racked up a, a couple of top 10 wins, a couple of really good wins. We should bring Keith McMillan on this podcast to talk about the teams in the top 10, the top five, and everybody who's getting number one votes. What do you think? Should we do that in a little bit? I think we should. I will, I will bet that Keith McMillan has some thoughts or two about top 10 voting. So stay tuned for that. We'll come back with that in a little bit. Evan Lewandowski was one of the storylines we talked about last week going into this game, right? He's the guy who, as a sophomore, was the starting quarterback for UW Lacrosse. We didn't talk about this uh, in any detail at all, but in the interim, he took a another stop in between Lacrosse and Whitewater. Evan Lewandowski tried to walk on at the University of Maryland, the University of Maryland, the Terrapins, College Park. And then he went to Whitewater and we patched back into the storyline we talked about a couple of weeks ago where he had to wait a year and now has taken over the starting position. 26 of 34 passing for 347, four touchdowns, did get picked off once, but uh, seeing the name Tommy Coates this past week as well, eight catches for 105 yards and three scores for him. That was a, a big hookup for those two on Saturday. Yeah, not the first time that those two have had uh, good, good, important connections in big games. Lewandowski and Tommy Coates clearly developing some nice rapport there for the for the Warhawks. To say nothing of Ryan Holty, who is you know maybe their number one receiver coming into the season. Lewandowski really settling in there at Whitewater. He's had a few good games in a row now after maybe a so-so start against St. John's, but um, yeah, the Warhawks well on their way now to a WIAC title. They got some tough games coming up with River Falls and Oshkosh to go, but definitely cleared a big hurdle 
I happen to have right here on my desk the box score from that uh, Whitewater St. John's game. Lewandowski, 17-31 passing for 175 yards. He was sacked five times. No passes to Tommy Coates. Yes, so far won the first big challenge in the WIAC. And then we had little brass bell game at the end of the night that started looking pretty ugly and then things kind of uh, recovered for Wheaton a little bit. Yeah, the Stars were out for North Central in their 33 to 20 win over Wheaton. North Central really dominated the run of play in the first half. They jumped out to a 20 to 0 lead at halftime. Behind their offensive stars Ethan Greenfield, D'Angelo Hardy and Luke Lennon. Greenfield had 119 rushing yards in the first half and by himself outgained Wheaton by 40 yards. Uh, Wheaton did adjust and scratch back into the game in the second half. At one point, they cut the lead to 20 to 13. But when the Cardinals got pressed, Ethan Greenfield was there to slam the door with a pair of fourth quarter touchdowns. Uh, This is the second straight win in the series for North Central. Should solidify their hold on the number one spot in our top 25. Wheaton is going to be an interesting team to watch over the last half of the season. If they can run the table, how... They're going to be viewed with losses now to North Central and Trinity, both of whom could be ranked number one in their region. It'll be interesting to see how that affects Wheaton's position in their regional rankings and their possibility for at-large selection. It would be almost like it'd be one of those years where Wheaton would benefit from a third CCIW team somehow ending up in the regional rankings. Very well could. WashU is off to a good start. We'll have to see. There are a lot of good teams in Region 5. We'll talk about who's trying to survive in the five in a little bit. But now is the time in the podcast where we really ought to thank the people who helped make this podcast possible, help make D3Sports.com happen. And those are the folks who subscribe, who support us on the Patreon service. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, is a service that people can use to help fund people who make content. Also, you know, artists, musicians, all sorts of people use the Patreon service. We use it to help support D3Sports.com, and people do that by pledging, by donating, anywhere from like $3 a month to up to $50 a month in order to help, you know, give us a steady stream of income that we can rely on all year long and those sorts of things not only help us just kind of generally operate but also do some extra things like you know have feature writers make sure there's someone updating the scoreboard on saturday greg does so many scoreboard updates on saturday and i do as many as i can and then we have a third person who is just you know kicking butt as well on a bunch of games I got back to the scoreboard after being away from the the desk for about uh, 20 minutes on Saturday, and there was this whole string of final scores that had gone on while I wasn't there, and I was very happy about it. That's right, Pat. Our Patreon subscribers really help fuel all of the D3Sports.com family of sites. D3 Football right now, obviously. D3 Hoops going to get ready to get cranked up very, very soon. We're about a month away from actual division three hoops live action not ready for that but during football season uh, we see that support from patreon manifested in the regular cycle of coverage that our readers get to see throughout each and every week features columns around the nation on-site coverage on saturday's live scoreboard that you mentioned 
All of these things are made possible by our Patreon supporters. If you enjoy D3Football.com and all of the coverage our site provides, consider joining our group of Patreon subscribers or support the site with a one-time donation. Maybe you're already a Patreon subscriber. Thank you so much. You can continue to support D3Football.com by spreading the word to your fellow fans at your next home game. So to go to Patreon and support D3Sports.com, go to Patreon.com slash D3Sports. Or if you are more of a person who would, for whom a one-time donation would be preferred, then you can go to D3Sports.com slash help. And I should let our Patreon subscribers know that there will be a new piece of content in that feed coming up in just a couple of days. So we talk with Keith McMillan next. Spoilers. But after that conversation of about which uh, 14 minutes or so will appear on this podcast, there's another 20 minutes or so just all about stuff going on in the top 25. So you'll get that in the bonus feed coming up in the next couple of days. Now with the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by basically all the people who have ever really hosted this podcast on a regular basis because we're going to talk about the top of the D3Football.com top 25 this week, same as last week in our top five. In fact, our top 10, no movement whatsoever. North Central at the top with 18 first place votes. Mount Union, number two, with five number one votes. Uh, Whitewater and Mary Harden Baylor are third and fourth with one vote apiece. Then you're followed by Trinity, Texas, and the rest of the top five. And here to talk about it, we brought in Keith McMillan. You may remember Keith from podcasts formerly known as like the first uh, 280 of these podcasts. Keith, glad to have you back on, sir. You're looking good. Thanks for for having me. And uh, I'm happy to stop in every now and again. I don't quite uh, know what I'm talking about as well as I did at the height of my game. Um, but certainly uh, have thoughts on on the top 25 since I'm still a voter and still uh, active in, in that sense. Well, I know that every thought you have is a friend of mine, so I appreciate you uh, coming back on and joining. And of course, uh, we have Greg here also. I know that I have outed myself as one of the people who is voting for Mount Union. Keith is going to talk about who he's voting for. And Greg, I don't remember if we know who your number one spot is right now. My number one spot is North Central right now. My Mount Union is number two. That's where I have uh, Mount Union. And then three and four, I'm Whitewater and Mary Harden Baylor. That flipped for me this week. Um, I think those two are pretty interchangeable based on uh, current week's results. And this week, I felt Whitewater's win uh, was enough to put them over UMHB. Uh, and also, you know, head to head. And I'm Mount Union one, Whitewater two, Mary Harden Baylor three, North Central four, Trinity five. That is my top five. That's probably not all that dissimilar from the actual poll. Obviously, Keith, uh, you're here not to praise Mount Union, but to bury them. What are you here to tell us today? No, I, I just think this year we have more information as uh, as top twenty five voters than we have ever had, uh, especially within the top ten, and so it makes it really. Um, I don't know if it makes it harder or easier actually to work with this much information because as you guys pointed out on a previous podcast uh the string of results doesn't really square it's a circle where, where you know it, it starts at uh bethel and circles back around through Harden simmons back to through platteville and back to bethel um and so you can't make sense of of those results but the the how i made my top five does factor in the fact that st john's beat whitewater whitewater beat mary harden baylor and so those three teams are, in a way, stuck together for me. 
Um, the Bethel result, I know you, you can untangle it by pointing out that, um, that Jaron Rosti was injured when, uh, when Bethel played Platteville and uh, obviously wasn't injured when, uh, when they beat St. John. So there's, I mean, for, for me, I just think the, the, and it, and it goes beyond just those very few top programs, right? There's like the twin, the Trinity Wheaton game, which was an overtime game. There's Harden Simmons, you know, having a result against a WIAC team and also having played Mary Harden Baylor at this stage of the season, you know, the number of results too, where, where it's not just one Mary Harden Baylor game against Whitewater, but it's also, they beat Muhlenberg and they beat Harden, Harden Simmons at this point, right? The, just the, it's the, they've played a lot of top 10 teams. There's been a lot of interplay between them and uh, it gives us a lot to work with as voters. It does. I mean, I find that uh, it, it is a dizzying amount of data. Yeah, we've been we've talked about it through the first month of the season, how we've been treated to, uh, you know, late, late playoff style games in the first four weeks of the season. We don't see a lot of these games, but, uh, you know, normally when we get these games late in the season, we're not voting. And so that data doesn't get filled in to a top 25 until after the tournament is over. And uh, a lot of those uh, results sort of dictate where we put uh, teams in the in the end based on where they finished in the tournament. Uh, it's been a lot of fun as a voter this year with all of those results to f- try and figure out and rank uh, those top 10 teams uh, that have played all one another. For me as a voter who is voting for Mount Union right now, I think really the reason why is it's kind of, this is kind of a gut thing, right? It is not something that you can necessarily look at the current slate of results and, you know, make an educated judgment on because, you know, who have they played, right? Uh, You know, beat defiance, which is a negligible result, 200 or so, I suspect of the division three football programs right now would beat defiance. Um, You know, the OAC has had some non-impressive results out of conference that kind of make you wonder, you know, even when they do play Heidelberg, even when they do play John Carroll uh, and and beat them, you know, we don't know what the value of that is. And I get that. But there have been plenty of seasons in the past decade or so where you don't really know how good Mountain Union is until December 1st or something like that. Right. I just feel like. They have enough pieces back from last year. Those guys are firing all cylinders. The off the books kind of things like Larry Karras coming back to coach quarterbacks, those sorts of things. I just feel like there's enough intangible there to for me to put Mountain Union number one. And frankly, it has to be intangible because there's not anything tangible that uh, that really supports it. Pat, I'm glad you explained it um, because that was my question coming in. And one of my reasons for coming on, like what how exactly do you get there? As a voter, um, for me, my, my top five is North Central. Um, you know, last week, that was probably a little bit more of a gut feeling. Um, but it was it's easier to do that now that they have an impressive win over Wheaton. And then I had um, St. John's, Whitewater, Mary Harden, Baylor. In that order, you square that with the, with the head-to-head. And then I have Linfield, fifth. Um, and then Mount Union, sixth. So probably you can only... A lot of where people have Mount Union starts with how they, how they started the season, where where they started with them in the poll and whether you believe kind of wholeheartedly that teams move up or down a spot based on uh, whether or not they've won or lost the past weekend. Like I didn't drop Wheaton at all for losing this week. I didn't drop UW lacrosse for losing. These are things I think that this poll and this uh, group of pollsters has been pretty good at over the past 15 years or so is 
recognizing when the poll was already correct and then not breaking it by moving teams down that lost to someone who was higher ranked. A- absolutely. So for me, for, for Mount Union, you know, it, this isn't Purple Raiders 98 or 2008. They're not in a class of one or two that defies logic. It's a program that needed overtime to beat Muhlenberg in last year's postseason and never really threatened North Central, which got crushed, as we saw live uh, in the title game against Mary Harden Baylor. So that meant my ballot, ballot at the start of the season valued a team like Linfield, who, who beat St. John's and whose only loss last year was to UMHB higher. But Keith, you said that's all last season. What about this year? Great question. Mountain Union, to its credit, is walloping everyone it's playing 4-0, outscoring opponents 224-7. That's outstanding. But also, Division Three is very large, so there are other teams who are dominating bad teams in similar ways. Wartburg is 5-0 and outscoring opponents 190-10. DePaul is 5-0, 192-27. Albion's 5-0, 228-45. DelVal, 5-0, 129-27. Endicott, 5-0, 125-20. Ithaca, 4-0, 158-24. Lake Forest, 4-0. 186 to 31, Linfield 3 and 0, 134 to 39. You get the picture. The picture is as if Keith went to the standings page on d3football.com and simply looked at points for and points against for a bunch of teams. Well, to, to be truthful, I, I had already moved Warburg up a bunch because I realized they'd only given up 10 points all season. And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd noticed Mount Union is doing the same thing. And so that is um, something you have to give both of those teams credit for. But, but you know, point is, if uh, for, for running off all those teams is if you just look at teams who are dominating, that alone won't narrow your top 25 down. Uh, if you just look at teams who are undefeated, that won't do it either, right? I count 29 undefeated teams in Division Three right now. So does Mountain Union deserve to be ranked higher than Wartburg and DePaul? Yes. Is it a safe bet for the top 10 based on historical strength uh, and performance this season? Yes. But once you get into the top 10 or the top five, the competition is different. Literally every team in the top 10 and 11, if, you, if you're uh, looking at the, the current top 25 that we have now, and, and you have Bethel there at 11, literally every one of those teams has a result uh, against one another, uh, especially now that North Central's beaten Wheaton. And those results show you that those teams uh, all belong uh, amongst one another. What about Wartburg? Greg, you and I were talking about Wartburg earlier today. Yeah, Wartburg has had a, a tremendous first half of their season. They're 5-0, as Keith said. They've only given up 10 points, absolutely zero points in the first three quarters of any game that they've played this year. Um, their result against uh, Stout in the first week of the season looks better and better with Stout scoring more and more points, uh, shutting out that team and that offense the way that they've looked the last few weeks. Really impressive. I've got Wartburg ranked 16 on my ballot. I am really trying to figure out ways to get like ways to get them up higher than 15, but everybody that I have 15 and up also very good. Uh, so I'm kind of in a, in a spot where I've got like a whole bunch of like teams. I want to rank eighth, you know, <laughs> and um, Wartburg would be one of those. They've got a big test this week against central um, would have been, a really fun game in Pella if both of those teams came in undefeated, but we know Central uh, upset by Loris a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but that's still going to be a really big test for Wartburg on the road uh, against the Central team that is going to be, I mean, they've got their season on the line in that game. So it uh, should be an interesting test and should be the, you know, a really uh, good test to see if Wartburg can continue what they've been doing against a team that is uh, very good in Central. I can only guess that there must be voters who are waiting for Wartburg to play Central. Uh, we talked about this on previous pods. I've not been very high on Central all year, not just losing Blaine Hawkins, but also, you know, six really standout guys 
on defense. Uh, so I think I started with them in my 21 spot or something like that in the preseason, and they've since dropped off. But uh, I can only assume that there yeah, are voters who are just waiting for that. I don't know, waiting for, to see that head-to-head. I, I've seen enough of Wartburg to know that they're also in my 16 spot. Uh, they're For me, they're right behind River Falls. If maybe a River Falls stout game might uh, convince me to switch some of those things around. So there's some common opponents that could come into play, I guess. It's interesting that you guys say 16 because I, I moved them to, to 15 and probably from, you know, 22 last week, uh, just by realizing that they're not just they didn't just dominate one game. Uh, they dominated a bunch. But that that top that, that first five games, you know, even though it's you know 190 points scored, 10 points allowed, right? Very similar to Mount Union, but Mount Union doesn't have this. I mean, Heidelberg, I think, matters. John Carroll will matter, but it doesn't have a game coming up where you can just say, wait, wait till we see Mount Union against that team, and then we'll know how Mount Union fares against the top 10. And and again, all the other teams, I have Johns Hopkins outside the top 10, and I have Bethel in the top 10. So all the in, on my ballot, all the top 10 teams except Mount Union have a result against another top 10 team. St. John's beat Whitewater. Beat River Falls by three, lost at Bethel by four. Whitewater beat Mount Union. I mean, Whitewater beat Mary Harden Baylor at home in a toss-up game, won at Lacrosse and at Barry, 12-hour, 750-mile trip to a perennial SAA contender who will have to face Trinity in October. Whitewater lost by uh, by two touchdowns at St. John's. UMHB was a goal line stand from winning at Whitewater. Handily beat Harden Simmons and Muhlenberg, which you know is last year's last year, and rosters are different, but coincidentally, Muhlenberg is the team that, that Mount Union needed overtime to beat in the playoffs last year they're still one of the best teams in the country but they're a little more regular in the same group as the other teams in the top 10 you know trinity and wheaton had that one point over overtime game north central beat wheaton so you know you guys have talked about how you can't square this chain of results and uh i think that chain does however tell us that all these teams are competitive with one another and we just don't have that uh any kind of result like that to, to judge mount union by Pat, like, is because because of Mount Union's schedule and because they don't have teams that are gonna like wins that they're gonna get for the rest of the season that will impress us. You, you're a number one Mount Union voter. Are there results from teams beneath them, St. John's, Whitewater, uh, or UMHB? Are there wins that they could get over the rest of the season that would get you to change your number one vote from Mount Union, or are you locked in on Mount Union until? until the end or, or until they do something like have a 17 to 12 game against ONU. Yeah. I mean, I would say that uh, there's certainly the possibility of Mount union, not impressing, right? So far, Mount union has done nothing but impress and obviously right against less than stellar competition, but I've not been afraid to change off of a number one team without them losing, um, you know, in the past. And I think that's a possibility here. I almost kind of think though, you know, I mean, Whitewater just this past weekend did maybe what's going to be the most impressive thing on the remainder of their schedule, certainly in their YX schedule, in going down to lacrosse and winning that game. I don't know that North Central has anybody remaining that can vault them now that they've already played Wheaton. I guess I don't know what's left in terms of potential teams on these guys' resume that could uh, vault them over Mount Union. As voters, we also have to take into account the teams that did play other teams on their schedule decided it was worth the risk to play other perennially great teams or happen to be in the same conference as one. And even if you don't believe it's a voter's job to try to influence the future by rewarding scheduling by how you vote, you still just been given all this information with which to assess relatively equal teams. 
So you can only play the teams on your schedule. But I think we have to to also take into effect all this data that we've been given by St. John's scheduling Whitewater, by Harden Simmons playing a WIAC team, by Trinity and Wheaton playing each other, and that's sort of thing. See you all met. See you all met. See you all met. Fast Five here on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, talking with Sam Bauman, Teal, snapping a 41-game losing streak, defeating Bethany on Saturday afternoon, 27-26. to Coach, congratulations. How many people have you, like, heard from with congratulations since uh, since snapping the streak yesterday? I think I've lost count already. You know, it's been it's been awesome. Uh, the outpouring of, you know, people I've worked with, um, you know, Teal alum, Teal administration, it's been awesome. And uh, our, our reception back home uh, when the buses came back uh, it was great. We, uh, you know, our tradition after wins is ringing the bell. Yeah. And there was a good couple hundred people there. It was it was awesome. That is awesome. I I just can't imagine like on campus, probably word spreading. And then, uh, you know, people on the bus texting to let people know what time you guys would be there to kind of revive that tradition. Absolutely. No, it was it was really cool. Um, you know, it was it, it was fun and and our guys enjoyed it. They're only supposed to ring it for the amount of points scored, but we probably rang that thing uh, 100, 150 times. It was great. <laughs> That's probably acceptable in this circumstance. Absolutely. You're hired to this program in February. You know, it's been, you know, you know, coming in, right? It's been a long time. Uh, Teal hadn't won a game since September of 2017. What did you think you were going to be able to do in the first season as head coach? You know, I, I didn't have unrealistic expectations. I, I kind of I knew where this program was at, what it was going. And honestly, I was very impressed by the core that was here already. Um, you know, I think they just needed to get pushed in a direction and push in a way that, you know, there, there's a way to work in college football that you have to do to be able to be successful. And it's just kind of teaching the guys that what they were doing just wasn't quite there. And uh, they really bought in, you know, it, it's been awesome. And uh, I couldn't be happier with that group. And then being able to bring in a, a pretty decent class in the short amount of time, myself and the rest of the staff here, we, I, I think we did a really good job setting ourselves up where we could be really competitive this year. And, you know, in football, if you're competitive into the fourth quarter, the, the ball bounces weird. You, you can, uh, you, you can pull some stuff out and we were able to do that this uh, Saturday, which was a blast. Keith McMillan and I, we would broadcast uh, postseason games. We drove up to Teal for the game against Johns Hopkins back in 2005. So to us, it doesn't necessarily seem like that long ago, but you're probably recruiting kids now who were born in 2005. It has been a little bit of time for Teal in the kind of wandering the wilderness here. You know, they had a really, really nice run there for the two or three years. And then, uh, you know, it's been a little lean, but, um, you know, the I think this place has just been, you know, craving just a little bit more success. And uh, the, the administration here, everyone at Teal has really been so behind us and it's been great. You talked about getting some of that recruiting class in, even though having been hired in February. And one of them, I assume, was freshman uh, Jordan Collier from Ypsilanti, Michigan, who uh, scored touchdown yesterday uh tell us a little bit about just the freshman class in general maybe jordan in particular uh, i i really enjoy this group i think we have a really deep class um and it, it's really kind of fun to see them develop and uh jordan's really come into his own these last couple weeks um you know he, he um really he came in a little bit late in camp so it took him a little bit to uh get get his feet wet but he's hit the ground running and it's been really fun to see him develop and uh, really kind of come into his own in a, in that running back spot. And that's, that's a deep room for us. And uh, it's been fun to see him uh, develop for sure. 
I kind of just wanted to say Ypsilanti, so I was glad to have that <laughs> opportunity. All right, normally you'd probably tell the guys to take the night and enjoy it and then get back at work tomorrow, but then you guys have a bye week this week uh, before you face uh, Westminster on the 15th, so mm-hmm. do they get to enjoy it for more than a day? How does that, uh, how's that go? Yeah, so uh, yeah, even the staff, uh, we, uh, we, we kind of locked the doors today just uh, uh, a chance to relax, and then we'll be back at it uh, as a staff tomorrow, and uh, the players will, will get a chance to uh, watch the film and uh, do a little run through tomorrow as well. So um, it's kind of it's a perfect time because we get a week to kind of relish in it and get our minds set on uh, on Westminster once we get back uh, after the bye. I know that Mercer County Cup is way down the line. You guys are not necessarily ready to think or talk about that right now, but uh, that's the big rivalry, and it hasn't uh, gone Teal's way in a little bit of time. This was obviously a, a, a pretty big monkey to get off our back, right? Um, you know, we, we we needed to get this first one to get that momentum rolling. So I, I think, um, like I said, I, I really like this group. I think we're, we're set up to be very competitive from here on out. That game's going to be a, a, a big challenge. That's a really good football team that we're going to face at the end of the year. But uh, that, that's what, that's what football is all about to go compete against some of the best teams in the country. And this conference has a really, really good football conference. Greg, I mean, Teal has had more than one of these multi-season losing streaks. It's really hard to get a program put back together sometimes. It can be. And, you know, what really struck me about this win for Teal is that they they jumped out to an early lead and then Bethany stormed back with 20 straight points. And Teal was a little sloppy in that second half when when teams are on the kind of slide that Teal has been on. There's kind of a here-we-go-again feel to having that lead slip away. Uh, but then Teal came right back after losing that lead. They got a clutch play, a blocked point after touchdown, followed by a fourth quarter drive that they needed to have to get the lead back. And there's a certain steal required to come through late in the game like that. And Teal showed it when they had to. And now, as Coach Bauman said, you can focus on things other than that streak. Yeah, that's something that you often see, right? From a young team or a team for whom things have not gone gone right, right? You get that lead, you give up that lead, and then you never get up off the mat. That is not what happened here. No, and they got some big plays. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of the big plays that Teal got a little further down in the in the rundown. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game balls. It's time for game balls, and my game ball is going to go to DePaul Jr. linebacker Brevin Good. Brevin Good had four sacks on Saturday, four of the nine sacks that DePaul racked up on Denison. He had six tackles, all of them solo in a day in which DePaul defeated Denison 17-13. DePaul remains unbeaten. That was a, t- a game between two unbeaten teams, and frankly, if you want to know more about Good, if you want to know more about the DePaul defense, you can go to d3football.com and read the feature story that Joe Sager wrote this past week featuring the DePaul defense. And as promised, we're going to get right back to Teal. And my game ball goes to Teal sophomore wide receiver Andre Rogers. Rogers opened Teal scoring with a 52-yard touchdown reception. He followed that with a 75-yard kickoff return for a touchdown to give Teal a 14-6 halftime lead over Bethany. And then after Bethany had scored 20 consecutive points to take a lead, it was Rogers again with a long kickoff return to midfield that helped set the table for Teal's game-winning drive. 
And for his trio of big plays that keyed Teal's 27 to 26, 41 game losing streak snapping win, Andre Rogers gets my game ball. We have done Teal in pronunciation 101 before. Teal. That is definitely how you pronounce Teal. Here's how you spell Teal. T-H-I-E-L. That's how you spell Teal. Exactly how it sounds. Exactly how it sounds. <laughs> then we start talking about Kane, <laughs> spelled K-E-A-N, and Buena Vista. Patterson over Kane this week. William Patterson, 4-1. William Patterson off to, uh, I think, one, it's conference opener for the first time since 2010. First time in a while they've done that in the end, Jack. That's not my stat. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. My stat of the week comes from a game that racked up lots of stats, though, plus a safety. It's not about safeties in this uh, 72-2 win against Puget Sound for Linfield. It's about punt returns. Wildcats returned three punts for touchdowns, all of them in the second quarter, two of them by McLean Stone King. Paul Thie got the other punt return touchdown and later got in on offense, catching an 81-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter. I wanted to go back and watch these punt returns for touchdowns to see what they looked like, see if I could put some more, you know, color, some more details in my stat of the week. Ah, uh, yep, that was one of those games that was uh, archived and not available to watch. And my stat of the week comes from the American Rivers Conference, where Central blew out Nebraska Wesleyan 58-0. Central's third quarterback of the day, Cooper Downs, had himself a pretty good game in the third quarter. Downs was 12-17 for 17 in the third quarter of this game for 174 yards, and an NCAA Division Three tying five touchdowns in the quarter. Five touchdown passes in a quarter was last achieved by Evan Lewandowski in 2019 while he was a UW lacrosse eagle. See, everything comes back around, right? The circle of coming back around is really tight on this particular podcast. The great Blaine Hawkins threw four touchdowns in a quarter several times, maybe in the same game. Who knows? Possibly, but never five. When you're a central quarterback who did something that Blaine Hawkins did not do, you've done something special. And so Cooper Downs and his five touchdown passes in one quarter is my stat of the week. I'm a real wild one. Who's getting it done in the one? This is where we go region by region with some top stories that we might not otherwise highlight. We're talking about region one, region one, way up in the Northeast. And uh, who's getting it done in the one? Plymouth State somehow got it done this weekend in Region 1, and they improved to 4-0 in the process despite just 158 yards of total offense. The Panthers defeated Framingham State on the road 14-9. Framingham managed more than 300 yards of total offense but could not convert on fourth downs deep in Plymouth State territory three times and also missed a field goal. Framingham had eight possessions on the afternoon, and really just eight possessions. That's not a bunch. They scored once. They punted three times, they missed the field goal, and they turned the ball over on downs three times. This includes a fourth and two, which got stuffed a yard short at the Plymouth State 21 on the Rams' first drive of the game, and and at the time, nobody knew that it was really setting the tone for the day. This may not be fun in the one, but it's definitely getting it done in the one for Plymouth State. And if you are doing the math and going, you only mentioned one scoring drive, that's because the other was, you guessed it, a safety. Endicott is getting it done in the one. Uh, the goals moved to 5-0 and with a 20-0 win over Husson on Saturday. The latest shutout is the third this season for Endicott, who have emerged as a clear favorite in the CCC. 
Yeah, that's how you pronounce Hassan. Moving on to Region 2, who's well-to-do in the two, Greg? Brockport was well-to-do in the two this week with a 25-0 win over St. John Fisher in the Courage Bowl. Brockport limited the Cardinals to just 27 yards of total offense in the game. This is Brockport's fifth consecutive Courage Bowl win and the 300th win in program history. Who's well-to-do in the two? For me, Carnegie Mellon's certainly well-to-do right now, now having taken on and beaten two of the other four contenders for the President's Athletic Conference title. I'm going to address something, though, that seems to be a running thing with Carnegie Mellon, and I'm not quite sure why, but some constant grinding about lack of respect. Here's head coach Ryan Larson. He talked with Frank Rossi of In the Huddle this past weekend. A couple weeks ago when we uh, crossed paths at RPI, you kind of didn't take on the questions uh, about the pride issue of people picking Westminster, et cetera, <laughs> and the top 25 right, let's issues. Do let's do it. So, let's go. So how does it feel now? Be honest now. Yeah, was I mean, that kind of something that you guys were offended by in this whole of thing? Of course. Of course. Um, I, I mean, yeah. What, what, what else do you want from us? We, we won this league last year, went to the playoffs. Like, we deserve a little bit of respect. I get we're an affiliate. I understand that. Um, but at the same time, like our kids come out and they play hard and, you know, we're the only team in the league that went out and took two out of conference games. And we didn't just take out of conference games. We took one of the best from the Northwest and we took one of the best from the, the Liberty league, which everyone, you know, it's a good league. It's a really good league. So, you know, we take on challenges and those challenges against those teams are why we win games like this. We won this game because we beat RPI and our kids were comfortable in that moment. So at the same time, you know, yeah, of course it puts a chip on our shoulder. Um, you know, do we like that Westminster got a bye and Waynesburg now gets a bye? No, but you wanna know what? Next game, we're gonna just worry about one and oh, who we're playing, and that happens to be Waynesburg, and that's our next opponent, and that's what we'll do. Um, but, you know, we're just gonna take care of us, and we're gonna worry about us, and, you know, I'm sure the pack will be proud of us as long as we keep winning and doing our thing. Okay, so, it matters not to us who's a full member of a conference and who is an affiliate when we're talking about the D3Football.com Top 25. We couldn't care less, and we don't really put a lot of stock in a conference preseason coaches poll since basically those are generally rehashing the previous year's final standings. I get that Carnegie Mellon won the pack last year. We're kind of ranking 2022, uh, and if the voters are split on who the best team in the pack is in 2022, then the votes are going to be split. I mean, we're talking about the preseason poll. Apparently, people are still fired up about. So, you know, Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is a tier one research institution. So I'm going to try a science answer. Let's compare this, say, to the definition of a planet. Oh, yeah, we're going there. I don't believe Pluto is a planet, by the way. And I didn't believe Carnegie Mellon was a top 25 team in the preseason. One of the things a celestial body must do to be called a planet is it must be the biggest thing in its neighborhood, so to speak. Or here's a quote from the NASA website. It must be big enough that its gravity cleared away any other objects of a similar size near its orbit around the sun. All right, so some conferences can have more than one ranked team, right? But if you're the pack which has gone 4-10 and 10 in the last 10 playoffs, and that's with an asterisk. Uh, they should be 4-11, and 11, but they avoided losing a uh, playoff game last year because of COVID. You may well need to absolutely be the best team in the league in order to get enough votes to get into the top 25. So last year, Carnegie Mellon won the league, but they didn't run the table in doing so. They finished 8-2 and two overall, 8-1 and one in the conference. That's why CMU wasn't ranked in our preseason poll compared to previous year's champs who had run the table 
in the conference. They split votes in the preseason with folks like W&J. Um, and I'm sure people were thinking about Grove City. And I believe Westminster, Pennsylvania got votes in our preseason poll, etc. It's pretty clear when you look at it to try to determine the difference between this year's defending champ and the defending champs from previous years. But here I am stating it again because apparently people are still cheesed off by it. Cheesed off. I couldn't come up with a better term there that I wouldn't have to bleep. So that's what I chose to say. Ryan Larson leveraging the disrespect card. That's coaching 101. I do like Ryan Larson's passion and you can hear much more from coach Larson in ATN podcast number 306. Pat, what do you see in the three? What I see in the three is that KJ Miller set the D3 record for career punt return yards as he is up to 1,585 career punt return yards in his career at Mary Harden Baylor. The previous record was held by Joshua Carter of Muhlenberg. Carter is now the head coach at Juniata. Carter's career started before D3Football.com was around, but he was a D3Football.com All-America selection in 1999 and 2000, our first two seasons. K.J. Miller did not uh, reach the end zone with a punt return on Saturday, but he did have two punt returns for 65 yards, including a 49-yard return in uh, Mary Harden-Baylor's 38-7 win over Austin College. And for me, out in the three, things almost got interesting in the in the USA South Conference on Saturday with Maryville jumping out to a 28-14 halftime lead over Huntingdon. Hawks quarterback Landon Cotney threw two touchdown passes in the first 90 seconds of the third quarter, and the Hawks rode that second half wave to a 42-28 win. Kahari McReynolds was the leading rusher, 18 carries for 83 yards and a score, and the leading receiver, three catches for 92 yards and two scores for Huntingdon as they stay in first place in the USAC. That's one of the games that I flipped into when the uh, Whitewater lacrosse game went to halftime. The eyeball test maybe isn't necessarily something that you can consistently apply in Division Three because there are 100 games all going on at the same time, and you can't see 95% of them after they're done because they're not archived for people to watch. I don't know if this has been mentioned, but that's something that bothers me. But you can see the the distinct speed difference between games uh, up here in the top 10 level and then games between teams who are like in the number 25 to number 50 level. Greg, who's going to war in the four? That's what the four by four is for, son. That's what the four by four is for. Tigers in the North Coast are going to war in the four. To, uh, DePaul survived the, the voodoo that happens when teams go play under the lights at Denison. While Wittenberg suffered their first conference defeat at home to Wabash on Saturday, these two, DePaul and Wittenberg, will tangle on Saturday. DePaul with a chance to secure a second win over a top rival in the league, leaving just Wabash as the last remaining significant hurdle to a repeat conference championship. Wittenberg, on the other hand, they're in elimination mode. They need a win to stay afloat in the top half of the conference. Capital and Otterbein are going to war in the four, or at least they went to war on Saturday anyway. Always been a battle when these two Columbus, Ohio area rivals get together. Although in football, the rivalry does not need this little extra inspiration of the war for the ore that the schools introduced over the last couple of years. In this year's edition, Ajay Cody scored two touchdowns, the second one with 23.7 seconds left to send the homecoming crowd home happy as Otterbein won 35-28. to Caden Dupe got his first career start at quarterback for Otterbein, and here's what he had to say after the game. He started in place 
of Ezen Hardwin, who is the number 10, who you hear Duke referring to. It's unbelievable. Um, all week, you know, stressing about this game, homecoming, capital, it's everything you want. You know, every day come to practice with a positive mindset, take your mental reps. Um, number 10 is absolutely unbelievable. Dude, so it's easy to back One of the reasons why I say that this rivalry doesn't need the extra inspiration of the war for the or, at least when we're talking about football, is that there's this fairly extensive clip of post-game comments from a couple of Otterbein players that uh, Otterbein posted online, and neither of them refer to war or or. All they need to do is be capital, and I love rivalries like that. Mumbo number five. who is trying to survive in the five. Ooh, talk about homecoming crowd going home happy. Uh, Let's talk about Carroll and an epic two-overtime win against Augustana on Saturday. That homecoming crowd at Carroll was 3,500 in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, and yes, they went home happy after Carroll outlasted Augustana 44-41 to in double overtime. Carroll got two touchdowns and a two-point conversion in the fourth quarter, with one of the scores being a breakaway touchdown run by Jackson Case for 80 yards to tie the game at 35. The closing seconds of the game also featured an actual occasion of a team icing a kicker and that kicker missing as Augustana had a 49-yard field goal attempt to go wide left. Then the teams traded field goals in the first overtime, and Augustana started the second overtime with a successful kick as well. But Carroll responded with a touchdown in the second half of the second overtime to walk off with a win. I went to go to the archive to watch this again, and Greg, you know what happened when I tried to do that? Did you find the uh, the tweeted clip of the last play of the game? That's probably the best you're going to do. The Carroll archive is up. I was able to watch the whole thing again. Here's what it sounded like from the Carroll University broadcast. Line up two receivers to Raby's right, one to his left. Raby takes a snap, sprints out to his right. Late throw, gets it to Miller. Touchdown! The Carroll Pioneers win on homecoming. 44-41 is your final. And what was an incredibly hard-fought game for both teams culminates in a double overtime victory for the Carroll Pioneers. I just had to put out there that this was actually available. Greg, who's trying to survive in the five? Benedictine is trying to survive in the five after getting knocked off by St. Norbert 26-12 to on Saturday. The high-octane Eagles offense lost four starters in the first half, none as significant as standout quarterback Tyler Jarnigan. Jarnigan had been off to a strong start in the game before leaving after a five-yard scramble early in the second quarter. He did not return, and the Knights were able to spoil homecoming at Benedictine. The Eagles could still challenge for the NACC title, but they're going to need all of those offensive weapons back before hosting Aurora on October 29th. Greg, who's getting their kicks in the six? Luke Cool is getting in his kicks in the six. Uh, The place kicker for UW-Stout has been busy in the last two weeks. He is 17 of 19 on extra point attempts in the last two weeks as well as two for three on field goal attempts as the Devils have scored 66 and 73 points in their last two games, setting program highs in points in each of the last two weeks. I didn't intend for this to be a category about kicking, but it works. I mean, first of all, there are kicks in the six that we talked about earlier, but for me, who's getting their kicks in the six, I'm going to talk about St. Scholastica. St. Scholastica getting a win for the first time in a conference game 
in the Minnesota Intercollegiate Athletic Conference as they rallied from a two-touchdown fourth-quarter deficit and beat Hamlin by the score of 43-42 in the final moments, doing so on a 26-yard field goal by Kyle Oswald. Hamlin took a timeout with about five seconds left to try to ice him. And he drilled through that 26-yard field goal. Totally would have been good from 29. And a, uh, a big win for St. Scholastica up in Duluth. First time that they've gotten a win in the MIAC. Yeah, I don't know that you're going to be able to ice anybody in Duluth. They're pretty hardy people up there. <laughs> I know we didn't get this. This is how busy the rundown was this week, Pat. We didn't even get to talk about and mention very quickly the Luther North breaking their long uh, losing streak as well. We talked about it a little bit last week in the in the uh, what's happening in the five rundown. But yes, Luther did in fact knock off Simpson thirty three to twenty three, snapping their sixteen game losing streak. Luther for one brief shining moment on Saturday was the lead story on d three football dot com at least among non uh, top twenty five teams. Of course, paling in comparison to Teal's forty one game losing streak. That 41-game losing streak, as it turned out, the fourth longest losing streak in Division Three football history. The longest losing streak, I guess, maybe, is technically an active streak. That belongs to Earlham, which lost 54 consecutive games before suspending its program at the end of the 2018 season. It has yet to return. They had surpassed the previous record, which was uh, held by McAllister. McAllister lost 50 consecutive games, and that streak ended in September of 1980. Oberlin is on the list of top five losing streaks twice. They lost 44 consecutive games in a streak that ended in October of 2001 and 40 consecutive games in a streak that ended in September of 1997. You guys can do the math. I think they basically... Lost 40 consecutive games. I believe they beat Swarthmore or Teal. And then they went on to lose another 44 consecutive games. That's how that went down. And then also uh, Bates had a, a streak of 37 consecutive losses that ended in November of 1995. And that was your streak update from the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Your categories have become tiresome. You've got mail. Tiresome. We put the call out. Boy, people are salty on Twitter about a top 25 poll in a week in which kind of basically nobody lost. Certainly nobody got upset. And Ryan Bielot picked up on that. He's uh, at RJ Bielot, RJ B-I-E-L-A-T. I recognize him. He's a guy who's a frequent poster on our message board as well. Did you know we have a message board devoted to Division Three sports? He is a St. John's fan, as I recall. Do you ever tire of being asked, quote, why isn't XYZ ranked higher? You'd think more people would realize that teams exist beyond the sphere of their conference. You'd think. You'd really think. I'll give fans this little bit of, I don't know, credit or maybe, you know, some understanding as to why this might happen. Because every year you have new people, they're new fans, new fans every year, right? who don't understand the scope of division three, who don't understand that division three is like twice as big as, as division one. And you might look at somebody eyeball test on the field and think, Oh my God, that team is absolutely a top 10 team, but there are 15 or 16 teams that are just as good as them and not better because there's just so many teams. There's so many teams in division three football, 240 teams. Exactly. 
Are I tired of being asked why are these teams not ranked higher? I don't think so. I think for me, it shows that people are engaged. It shows that people are following the content. People are learning about Division Three. Yeah, like you said, new people cycle in. We get new teams. We get new fans, new families, new student athletes that come into Division Three. I'm five and zero. Oh. Why am I not ranked in the top twenty-five? Well, one reason is because there are twice as many teams, and being in the top twenty-five is twice as hard. It's a it's a more exclusive club than maybe what you're used to seeing in the Division One level. So I don't get tired of of asking the questions, and generally people are polite, and when they get um, an explanation about why maybe their team isn't getting more votes. We tweeted something on a Sunday afternoon that noted that last year at this time, there were eight teams that were 4-0 and but did not receive a single vote in our top 25. And then I went back and tracked how each of those teams ended in the final poll. One of them finished 10-1. and uh, I believe that may have been Lake Forest, which ran the table and then got beaten in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the others finished five and three, seven and three, eight and two, eight and two, seven and three, six and three, six and four. There were eight thousand one hundred and twenty-five votes uh, or points in each poll, and those teams, those eight teams, combined for a grand total of forty-six out of those eighty-one hundred and twenty-five points. And I'm I'm going to say this, Greg. I knew it was going to be timely today. I actually did the research for that tweet about three weeks ago, typed it up and scheduled it to send at three o'clock central time on October 2nd, 2022. I was going to say, do we get, do we get started a little bit later today because you were running, running research on, (laughs) on final records of who was not ranked in week four of 2021. I know, man, the research department's working uh, overtime today. That's for sure. Anyway, Ryan, thanks for the question. To answer the nut of the question, yeah, I think I do tire of it sometimes. But, you know, then the offseason happens and September comes around and I'm in a good mood and I can get through four or five weeks of it. Thanks for the question. If you want to send a question to us, tweet at us. It's time for Games to Watch. I feel like Games to Watch needs a drop. I'll have to go back and download some more DJ Mentos music off Spotify and uh, listen to it, see if I am get inspired by anything. Anyway, this week I will be keeping an eye on number 13, Cortland at Brockport. Because Brockport has methodically taken apart three lesser teams. They beat Framingham State, Rochester, and St. John Fisher by some pretty similar scores of 27-7, 23-3, and 25 nothing. I think the opposite is true, obviously, for Brockport's game at Ithaca, which uh, the Golden Eagles lost 0-24, to if that is easier for you to comprehend, or 24-0. to I presume that this game will be more like the Ithaca game, but if it's not, that will be interesting. And, and, you know, frankly, looking for all of these data points to try to separate this logjam that is Cortland and Ithaca. Pat, I think those teams are just destined to be ranked right next to each other as they go into Yankee Stadium. I got to ask you a question uh, unrelated. No, so totally related. As a Monon Bell guy, are you allowed to go to a Cortica Jug game or like a, uh, Amherst Williams game or a Randolph Macon Hampton Sydney game? Allowed? Yes. I it, it, what's really difficult for me and I'm not I'm, I'm not in Central Indiana anymore, so I don't I haven't been to a Monon Bell game is, since 2016, I think was the last one that I attended before I moved out of Indiana allowed to go to another game on, on week 11. Yes. Super, super difficult to get me to pry myself away from the moon on bell feed from one to four on, on that Saturday afternoon. 
What's your game to watch this week in week six? My game to watch is going to be Wartburg at Central. Winter is coming, Pat. Winter is coming. Wartburg head coach Chris Winter is doing everything right so far in 2022. The Knights have not been scored on in the first three quarters of any game this season. They've only allowed 10 points in five games, and they have been dominant in every game this season. The American Rivers Conference is almost certainly on the line this weekend when Wartburg travels over to Pella. Central is down one game in the loss column by way of their earlier loss to Loris. A second loss all but ends Central's drive to return to the postseason for a third straight tournament. I'll be, in, I'll be interested to see in this one if Central can be the first to figure out how to score some meaningful points against this defense or if Wartburg can continue their clobbering ways and set the table for a serious postseason run. Yeah, I think a lot of people are watching that game. I think voters have been waiting for this game. There was some interesting change in the top 25 this week, uh, something that we didn't talk about with Keith, either in the segment that you heard or in the one that the Patreon subscribers get, is that uh, Central dropped a spot in the poll this week and Warburg went up a spot, even though neither of those teams lost and neither of the teams around them lost. Why do you think that was? I think you may have had a common opponent situation with Loris. Also, I think that result, that week one result for Wartburg against Stout looks better and better as Stout goes along as well. So, But definitely the, the common opponent versus Loris is a difference maker there. Also in week six, keep an eye on some of these games. Birmingham Southern at Trinity, Texas. Linfield at Whitworth. Lacrosse at Stout. Oshkosh at River Falls. That's a matchup of two ranked teams Wittenberg at DePauw W&J at Westminster of PA Shenandoah at Bridgewater Monmouth at the University of Chicago St. Olaf at Carleton the battle for the goat trying at Adrian and Redlands at Cal Lutheran battle for the goat in Northfield Minnesota Carleton's got the book of gullet book of knowledge and the goat on back-to-back weeks that is that's some that's some great trophy action back-to-back weeks for Carleton Knights good job MIAC front office it's time for On the Spot. Greg, we've had a lot of talk about Wartburg in this podcast. If you're a subscriber who also gets the bonus feed, you will get more Wartburg content. And one of the biggest athletic events involving Wartburg every season is the Battle of the Bergs. Now, the Battle of the Bergs is a wrestling match between Augsburg and Wartburg. And these two teams are like the Mount Union and the UW-Whitewater of Division Three wrestling. What I want to know about is the Battle of the Bergs in Division Three football. We have six teams whose names include Berg, either B-U-R-G or B-E-R-G this weekend. And I have an over-under for the number of Berg teams that I expect to win on Saturday. That over-under is one. Wartburg did, in fact, win the most recent Division Three Wrestling National Championship. One single point over runner-up Wabash. So we've got a collection of games, Greg, uh, out of this uh, collection of Bergs that are probably a number of walkovers. Not to categorize or characterize which ones belong in which category. I'm just going to run them down here. St. John's is at Augsburg. Carnegie Mellon is at Waynesburg. Wartburg is at Central. Fitchburg is at Framingham. Heidelberg is at Mountain Union. And Wittenberg is at DePauw. Your over-under is one for wins by Bergs. Are you going over or under? Let's see. I guess I thought about taking one and a half, but I really think there's only two possibilities. So I thought that uh, the over-under should be set at one. 
yeah, the Bergs, the Bergs are up against it here in week six. So I've got, I've got five of these six games. I was checking out our MASCAC game here to see what we might be looking at here with Fitchburg against Framingham. Framingham has not been quite the same MASCAC dominating Framingham recently, but Fitchburg on a bit of a slide did not have a good week five. I've got to take, if I'm allowed, I'm going to take a push on the one. I think it's, I think it's only Wartburg. Everybody else is really, really up against it. Maybe Wittenberg can summon enough defense to uh, get a win there at Blackstock Stadium, but DePaul is really playing so well right now. Uh, yeah, one win out of these six games for the Bergs, Wartburg over Central. This week, Pat, on the spot, we are going to play a game that I like to call It's a Trap. And in this week, there's two games that we're going to pick. I want you to find a trap game and pick a winner. Oh, okay. Bonus point if you pick the upset winner, the pick the team who's getting trapped to lose. And then I want you to pick the trap game, which we both know is the lobster trap game between <laughs> Hudson and New England. <laughs> I had forgotten about the lobster trap game. I thought about it as recently as like three weeks ago. And I'm like, oh, yeah, whenever lobster trap game is up, Greg's going to love him some lobster trap. It's a trap. It's a trap. This is good. And that's Hassan versus University of New England for the lobster trap. Well, let's start with the lobster trap one, because um, at least I know who's playing in this particular game. Hassan has played... Mass Dartmouth, they played Plymouth State, they played Springfield, they played Endicott, and they lost to all four of them. And then on the University of New England side, they are 3-1 and one this year. Uh, their losses to Gallaudet, they're probably hoping to be in the middle of the pack or above in the ECFC, ranked the 26th best conference in Division Three football out of 27. In Greg's most recent conference rankings, which you should have read on the website on Friday, if you didn't read it on Thursday, their wins are against Coast Guard, Bridgewater State, and Curry. As I had started this conversation, I had myself all psyched up to pick University of New England against Husson. And as I actually go through the results and look at it, I'm going to pick Husson in this game over the University of New England. University of New England has definitely made some big strides forward uh, over the course of the last couple years. They've won two conference games each of the last two seasons. As I said, you know, they are currently three and one, but they lost to Husson last year, 41 to 14. And I just don't quite yet see four touchdowns of turnaround in this lobster trap game. As I think about an actual trap game for week six, and I look at the week seven schedule, the one game on the list that is a game between ranked teams in week seven is Oshkosh at Whitewater. Whitewater is at Eau Claire this week. That seems like a trap game, does it not? It does. I can't pick Eau Claire in this game. This is uh, definitely Whitewater to win. Whitewater wins this trap game. Last week, I asked Greg to tell me how many of the unbeaten, unvoted on teams would still be unbeaten come the end of Saturday. There were 13 teams who entered this past week at 3-0 and or better, but yet we're not getting any votes in our top 25. And the answer Greg gave was eight. Greg went through and ran down... Each of the teams he thought would still be unbeaten, but the only answer we needed was eight, and Greg was correct. I'm going to take that, and we don't need to go through all of the games that I incorrectly picked. 
No, we don't have to. Uh, all I'm going to say is that Plymouth State, Alma, Olivet, Carlton, Augsburg, Chicago, Ripon, Bridgewater, and Shenandoah all remain unbeaten, while Morrisville State, Trine, Augsburg, Benedictine, and Denison each picked up their first losses. Hey, the product justifies the means, I say. Last week, I asked Pat to tell me at what point in the game DePaul would give up more points than they had all season. The Tigers, of course, had only given up seven points coming into the game, or so I said last week. Denison scored their second touchdown with one minute and 11 seconds left in the third quarter. So based on the information you got from me last week, that was the answer. Pat said 7.30-ish in the second quarter. Now, uh, I was wrong. Rose Holman scored 14 points against DePaul in week one, and Denison did not eclipse that number on Saturday. I need a fact checker for my on the spot. <laughs> this week was a, a tough week for quick hits for our quick hitters. We all missed on our top 25 upset picks as Ithaca, Wartburg, Carnegie Mellon, and DelVal all took care of their business. Do you know how many upsets in the top 25 there were this week, Pat? None, <laughs> none. And that's funny to me. Only Frank was correct in identifying the leader in the NCAC. DePaul stands alone at 3-0. Ohio Wesleyan is a half game back at 2-0. And I'm not sure any of us found a 4-0 team not receiving votes that made a strong case for top 25 votes in week five. The best answer might have been Alma, uh, but the panel did not pick the Scots. You asked us to make a case or to pick a team that would pull off an upset in any of the conferences ranked in your top five in the uh, new conference rankings. And I'll tell you, as I was going through, I was having a real hard time trying to find one and I ended up settling on the aforementioned St. Scholastica picking up their first MIAC win over Hamlin I think very clearly that could be seen as an upset uh, Logan and Riley picked St. Olaf to upset Augsburg that uh, is a mild upset at best Greg picked McAllister to be Carlton I thought you were really out on that ledge and uh, Book of Knowledge did not come through for you Tips was also way off way off with Platteville getting blown out by UW Oshkosh. And Frank's pick of Marietta was right, that it was wrong, that it was right again. And then finally, as uh, Baldwin Wallace and Marietta had four lead changes in the last 2.30 of the game, it settled on wrong as Baldwin Wallace went on to win that game. We are already in overtime on this podcast, and we get that. But there's more. We talked earlier with Sam Bauman, the head coach at Teal. Sam played football at Beloit at the same time that a guy named Joe Davis was at Beloit. I'll let Sam tell the rest. If you're someone who thinks the name Joe Davis is familiar, that's because that's the guy who's calling the World Series. He's the play-by-play -play voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, big guy at Fox right now, and you were there at the same time as him. Absolutely. No, Joe Joe's the man. He's uh. He was uh, a really good football player and even a better person. So, and it was fun to see him. I mean, he wanted to be a play-by-play -play guy before he even got to college. So uh, from his freshman year on, he'd be going down and doing high school games, college games, whatever he could do. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's really cool to see his success. Um, you know, it couldn't happen to a more deserving guy. Yeah, uh, we often tell the story about, you know, how when Joe Davis was in college, he called games for D3sports.com. You know, the, the way of the world these days is we don't really do those games anymore because everybody has their own video broadcast. But uh, I could tell pretty much right off the bat, this guy was better than me. And he was, I don't know, 19, 20 years old or yeah. something like that at the time. But, you know, you also have to do a lot of hard work to get to where he is. 
Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you could just tell that that guy had that kind of talent for that kind of job. Absolutely. I, I got a much bigger appreciation for the play-by-play position because the amount of prep work that he put in, even when he was in college, he was he was on those small school uh, websites looking up bios, going through, trying to pronounce everyone's last name. It was, you know, he'd, he'd have sheets on sheets on sheets that he'd have ready to go. So he was, uh, you know, he's a very, very hard worker. And like I said, I mean, it didn't happen by chance. He's really worked for it. And uh, it's been great to uh, see his success. Joe Davis, the number one guy on Fox NFL broadcasts. He's calling the World Series. And as I mentioned, uh, also is the, the play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Dodgers, re- just replacing some guy named Vin Scully, who had had the job for as long as John Gallardi was head coach at St. John's, if not longer. There are other D3 guys who are doing this same sort of thing as well. John Sadak, he used to be the play-by-play voice of the Rowan Profs as an undergrad in Glassboro, New Jersey. Now he is the play-by-play guy on television for the Cincinnati Reds. Wayne Randazzo used to be the voice of the Cardinals of North Central on WONC Radio in Naperville, Illinois. And now he is on the uh, New York Mets broadcast crew. I know there are more. It's basically midnight, and I can't remember the others. But if you want to follow Joe Davis, you want to go follow him on Instagram. That's where you get great pictures of barbecue and his kids and views of Dodger Stadium. And this was Around the Nation podcast number 313, released on October 3rd of 2022. That is season 16, episode 13. Thanks for listening and keep an eye out for continuing coverage throughout the week. You can support production of this podcast and the D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us financially, you can help us out by telling a friend, telling a classmate, a fellow alumnus, somebody else at the tailgate about the show. And you can rate and review us in the various places where people rate and review podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter. Greg is at Wally Wabash. And you remember Keith. Keith was on this podcast about... 56 minutes ago, something like that. You can uh, tweet at him at at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division 3 sports. You can join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. B-O-A-R-D-S. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Extra audio this week from Frank Rossi. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos, and we use more of his tracks. You can find them at djmentos.com as well as on Spotify. Thanks to podcast co-founder Keith McMillan joining us on this podcast, and thanks to Greg Thomas. You know, my co-host, current co-host. Keith, man, he he sent us the whole manifesto that I think he then turned into a chain of seven tweets (laughs) well before we get the actual podcast released yeah no no spoilers on atn 313 um unless you follow keith mcmillan at d3 keith then you're gonna get a you're gonna get a pretty good outline of what of what we talked about <laughs> pretty much <laughs> and pat don't edit out a whole bunch so that you can be right <laughs> <laughs>